continue here into our message. But before we do that, I want to um, excuse our kids. Teacher Andy is in the back there. And yeah, oh yeah. We always give our kids workers a round of applause. <laughs> and I want to encourage you all, if you want to see the most amazing thing ever, make sure you're here Christmas Eve, because is there anything better than our children singing and doing bells for us? No one can compete with that. No one. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to... Um, welcome you to our first Sunday in Advent. And if that is a word that you have never heard before, you're not alone. Many people have not um, been raised or been a part of liturgical churches, um, which that word just means liturgy, liturgy, which is just um, something that a lot of churches practice from church history. And Advent, the word means coming or arrival is what that word means. And in the Christian church calendar, it's a period of time. It's a preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. So we will be celebrating the Advent season up until our Christmas Eve service. And it's just a way for us to set that time aside and to focus. You hear the sayings all the time in the world, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season and Christmas has gotten too commercial and all those types of things. And, and what Advent does is it reminds us that of what's important in the season and it reminds us that we're not the center of God's plan. Advent is an opportunity to give us perspective that God has a grand plan for history that is much bigger than just us, our friends, our family, our church, our city, even our country. And Advent reminds us of generations of those that have gone before us that were longing and waiting for the Messiah. Think about it. It wasn't that long ago that two days to get a package was an outright miracle, right? And now we can get one in hours. And so the practice of pining and longing and waiting is something that we're not really great at. So this gives us an opportunity to practice that. It also gives us this gift of time to imagine the long-awaited coming of the Messiah who was promised thousands of years before his arrival in Bethlehem. And by doing that, it connects us to centuries of church tradition. And church tradition is not our final authority like scripture, but church tradition can be an important gift to us because we can recognize that we're not the first generation to seek to live faithfully to God's word. And we can recognize that we're celebrating the same thing with thousands of churches all around the globe that gives us a part of a bigger picture and a bigger family. And it helps us be tied into followers of Jesus that have gone before us. But the main thing that Advent does is it reminds us and 
and strengthens our confidence in the promises of God. This is a purposeful time set aside to remember and expect God to fulfill his promises. Jesus came, Jesus is here, and Jesus is coming soon. So one way that we follow these traditions is the lighting of candles. And the candles that will be lighting the season are hope, peace, love, and joy. And I don't know about you, but I could use a lot more of hope, peace, love, and joy as I close out 2022. So those are the things we're going to be chasing after during our time together. And just like the song Joy to the World says, let every heart prepare him room. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be making room for him during this season. So today, we're going to light the candle of hope. Yes, I wore the shirt on purpose. In Luke 1, 35 through 37, it says, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who has said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. This story, of course, is found in the Christmas story in the book of Luke in the Bible. And the angel Gabriel's talking to Mary, who would give birth to Jesus. And Mary's response to this news was to be Faithful, hope-filled, trusting, and full of submission. Her response is this. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I don't think we fully grasp how absolutely remarkable this response was. I mean, I can't imagine if Mary's hope was placed in her reputation or her marital status or her future she had dreamed about since the time she was a little girl or every thought she had planned out in her brain because she wasn't different from us today. I'm sure she'd been dreaming of her future from the time she was little. But you see, our hope will only be as strong as whatever we place it in. And Mary's hope was placed in God's word. 
There's this wonderful worship song, and it says this in one of the lines. It says, in Christ alone, our hope is found. All other ground is sinking sand. If our hope isn't anchored into something concrete and unchanging, our hope will eventually extinguish. It will just go out. So when we light the candle of hope, we have to think, what does extinguish that candle? What causes it to go out? What robs us of our hope? Because the truth is, there is true hope and there is false hope. And false hope is placing your hope in circumstances and in outcome, outcomes. But hope for a preferred outcome is nothing more than a wish. That's all it is. And our hope is only going to be as strong as what we put it in. So a lot of us confuse optimism and biblical hope. Biblical hope is optimistic, but it's different from worldly optimism or positive thinking. Biblical hope is an optimism, optimism based on certainty and truth, not on a cheery disposition that always looks at the glass as being half full. So who we are as Jesus followers in this hopeless world, we have to be a people of hope, not just optimists, but people filled with hope because of the certainty of God's promises. That's the only reason Mary could say what she said, was because she knew that she knew that her God fulfilled his promises. But how is this possible, right? How is it possible when so many of us feel like we've been kicked in the gut by life? And not just kicked in the gut, but kicked in the gut so much, sometimes we, we just feel like we can't even breathe, right? I mean, that person that we loved left. That friend betrayed us. That door didn't open. That business failed. That relationship ended. That child isn't around. That marriage died. It's disheartening. It's disoriented. It's disappointing. I get it. I remember when I was going through my divorce, well, I wasn't going through it. I was at the start of beginning my divorce. And a bunch of people, when I say a bunch, over five from my church community told me that I was going to ruin my children's lives. And what was I doing? And how could I even call myself a believer? And they left scriptures on my doorstep. <clears throat> you think I wasn't terrified I was ruining my kids' lives? I, I was pretty sure I was going to ruin my kids' lives. So I didn't need people coming to me to tell me that. One night, I was sobbing on the floor, face down, saying, God, I, I can't. I can't ruin my kids' 
but I don't know what to do. And he said to me, not audibly, in my heart, in my soul, so deeply that I can feel it and hear it today, don't you worry about your kids. I've got your kids. I love your kids more than you could ever love your kids. And then he gave me a picture. He was holding Megan over his shoulder and holding Nate's hand, and they were walking. I had to put my hope in him, not in the outcome, not in the circumstance, but in him. And you know what? Everything he said to me, I can't give you the exact scripture, but it's all him, and it's all biblical. He does love my kids more than I ever could, and he does have my kids. And that is what I had to put my hope in. It couldn't be controlling the situation or the outcome or what happens when they're at their dad's or when they're not or when they're with me or how I respond to that. It had to be that Jesus has my kids. That's what my hope's in. In Hebrews 6, 18 through 19, it says this. It says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Don't miss that. It's impossible for God to lie. He cannot. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. That's our encouragement. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I love this metaphor, you guys. And do you know it's the only place in the Bible that this metaphor is used? An anchor. An anchor for the soul. It's such a beautiful visual. Instead of the anchor going down into the ocean, this anchor goes up into the heavens. The certain hope of our future salvation is an anchor, just picture that, to steady our souls while we wait on God in our present storms. That's what steadies us. The main reason a ship needs an anchor is to ride out storms so it's not blown off course or into the rocks. But even in a safe harbor, a ship needs an anchor so it will not drift and it will not hit something and it will not sink. Whether in the storms of our life or in the harbor during a calm time of life, we all need that anchor for our soul. So even though sometimes we can feel hopeless, even when we have hope in God, because there's still times, right? You're like, yeah, I know God, I walk with God, why do I feel hopeless? Our true hope isn't contingent on our circumstance, We have to change our focus from an outcome to a person. From an outcome to a person. So when I feel like I'm getting blown around and beat up on those rocks in my circumstances, I hold on to that anchor that he cannot lie. He is with me 
and he is for me. And I don't know what the outcome will be, but I know he is steady and he's my anchor. In Hebrews 13:8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That might feel like a simple statement, but it is a summary of the hope brought by faith in God. This hope changes our lives. It changes everything. It gives us victory in hard circumstances. It lifts our chins. It puts our shoulders back because we know that no matter what happens, we are holding tight to the one that has changed our life forever. I read of a Christian man who made a trip to Russia in 1993. And he was feeling conspicuous, walking around the streets of Moscow, and he couldn't figure out why. He wanted to blend in, but it was obvious that people knew he was not Russian. So he asked a group of Russian educators who he was working with, he's like, hey, is it my clothes? Is that why I'm sticking out? Because he had jeans and a Chicago Bulls t-shirt on. And they're like, no, no, it's not your clothes. It's not your clothes. And he goes, what is it then? So they huddled up together and talked for several minutes. Then one speaking for the group answered politely. And he said, it's your face. He's like, my face? Why does my face look different? And they talked for a few minutes again. And then one of the teachers quietly said, it's obvious you have hope. It's obvious that you have hope. I don't know what you need hope for this year, this holiday season, this end of 2022. I don't know what you're asking God to be a part of with you. We were starting to talk a little bit about that at the table, but I know even sometimes that can feel so personal and so private, can it? I told you the story about my divorce, the beginning with the kids. Well, Dave and I would go on to get married, and we would blend a family. And we would have four kids between us, my son and daughter and Dave's two daughters. And it would be about, I guess, four years in when Dave's daughters would quit coming to see us and quit having anything to do with us. And we've been married, it'll be 18 years this year. So that's a lot of life without our daughters. It's a lot of life. And it would easy be easy to be hopeless about that situation. It really would, because there's not a single sign 
pointing us to restoration and reconciliation. There's nothing that's saying, hey, this is your future. They're going to be with you next Christmas. There's nothing like that. But we have hope. And we don't have hope in an outcome. For a long time, we did. I was, for a long time, that was our direction, right? We want this outcome by this time. But then one gets married, and we don't get an invitation to the wedding. Then the second gets married, and we don't get an invitation to the wedding. And so, like, our outcomes and circumstances have gone by the wayside. But we have hope because we have hope in Jesus. And we have hope in who he is. And so we let go of the outcome and we anchor ourselves to the one that gives us hope, whose name is hope. Because that's where our hope is found. All other ground is sinking sand for us. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that he gives restoration, and he's a God of reconciliation. And we walk in forgiveness, and we walk in faith and hope and love. And we pray, and we pray. And the rest is left to him. I don't know if you have a promise that God has given you. I can't tell you the amount of times I look back on the promise God gave me about my kids, and I cling to it when I have fear or worry or concern over them, and then I re-release them to him. But maybe there's a promise you need in this season of your life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And I'm going to share with you some of the promises. I'm not going to share all of them with you because we would be here till next week. But I'm going to share some of them with you. And I want to encourage you, maybe you write it down. Maybe there's one you write down and you memorize it. You remind yourself of it. You share it with somebody. Because the promises of God are what sustain us and give us hope. So I'll start with 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's for those of you waiting for your loved ones to come to know the Lord. I know there's a lot of us in this room. How about this one? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? He's got his eye on you. Come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Who needs rest for your soul? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible with God. Mark 10, 27. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Psalm 130. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. There's so many. <laughs> How about the fact he'll never leave you or forsake you? My husband and I will be in the back. If anybody needs prayer, we would love to pray with you. We would love to pray for you. We would love to pray with you for anything that you need. Like I said at the beginning, we believe in the power of prayer. Lord, thank you for this season. Thank you for an opportunity to make space, to put our focus on you, to breathe you in, to dig into these words, to not use them casually, but to understand the depth of what they mean. Lord, we, we cry out for hope. We cry out for that anchor. Help us to learn to live with hope. God, I pray our faces show it as we walk around. Doesn't mean our lives are without storms. It means we know who's with us in the storm. Amen.